Well, this morning we actually bring to a close our study of 1 Corinthians. And I really think it's been a good study. For it's indeed an exciting, relevant letter, and it, it speaks clearly to the church today. And, you know, even in his concluding remarks, Paul has something to say to us. He pictures us as soldiers, servants, and saints. And he leaves us with a prime directive to let all we do be done in love. Soldiers, servants, and saints. In love. That's what we are to be. In the 16th chapter of 1 Corinthians, ready for verses 13 and 14. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. You know, Paul begins his conclusion with four military commands. He says, be on the alert. Stand firm. Act like men. Be strong. You know, many of Corinth's problems can be traced to their failure to recognize the nature of spiritual warfare. The enemy had invaded their ranks and was dividing them, turning them against each other. And they didn't even see the enemy. Paul says, wake up. Be on the alert. Get your eyes open. You know, they, they were engaged in warfare against the rulers against the powers, against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places, and they had let the enemy slip behind the lines. If we're going to fight, we've got to see the enemy coming. So we've got to take the position of a soldier on guard. We have to be on the alert. The Apostle Peter said the same thing using a, a different image. He said, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We can't let our guard down. Our vigilance, however, has to be tempered by the directive to let all that we do be done in love. You know, even, even our watchfulness must be done in love. You know, it's, it's easy to become paranoid when you're on watch. You know, thinking everyone is the enemy and everything you hear is, is the enemy sneaking in on you. And you become a suspect of, of everyone and, and everything. And some in the church today are so defensive that potential friends and fellow soldiers are, are chased away as enemies. We've got to be careful not to do that. But we must be on the alert. And we're to stand firm. 
in the faith. When under attack, a good soldier stands his ground. And he does so because he has confidence in his commander and his fellow soldiers. He has faith in them. That's what enables us as Christians to stand firm. We have faith in our commander, knowing that what he's told us is the truth. And that he won't forsake us. Or that he hasn't sent us into battle alone or unarmed. In fact, he has preceded us into battle and has already secured the victory. Our job is to simply hold the ground he has gained and let others know that he has won the war. We can do that. We can stand firm. Now, again, we've got to temper that stand with love. We're not to stand in defiance with a a chip on our shoulder, nor are we to stand in opposition to our brothers and sisters who stand a bit to the left or right of us or ahead of us or behind us. We're to stand with them and together face the common enemy, not, not fight each other. We're not to become so convinced that our position is the only one that we can't accept a brother who's fighting from a different vantage point. We are, however, to stand firm, confident of where we stand and why. Next, Paul says, we're to act like men. Now, he's not being sexist here. He's simply saying that Soldiers can't be childish. They've got to be brave. They've got to face situations with maturity and the wisdom that comes from experience. Christians have to act like men as well. We can't get into childish squabbles and fight like kids on a playground. We can't back down from a fight that needs to be fought. We have to be mature enough to know when to fight We have to be able to take a few blows, and we have to mature in our faith to the place where we can handle whatever the enemy throws at us. That doesn't mean we become hard and calloused. We're to do all things in love, and that includes acting like men. You know, a few generations ago, maybe just one, it didn't seem manly to express love. You had to be hard. Dads had to be hard. Men had to be hard. There's a time to be hard, time to be firm. But we have to be be loving men. We're to act like loving men. We're to be brave soldiers, but we're to still have a heart. And we're to be strong. You know, soldiers exercise. They have to be physically fit. But the real strength doesn't come from themselves, from within. It comes from without. They draw strength from the resources of the country they serve. And as Christian soldiers, our strength comes from the kingdom of God. Our strength comes from the Holy Spirit who empowers us. It's from Him that we draw the strength to be all we can be. And since it's his strength 
that makes us strong. We don't, we don't become bullies, flexing our muscles and kicking sand in the faces of those who are weaker than we. We use our strength to express his love. So we are Christian soldiers. I know it's, we're a little uncomfortable singing onward Christian soldiers anymore because there's a lot of misconceptions about that. But we are called to be Christian soldiers, soldiers in love. And we're to be servants in love. Let's, let's read on, verses 15 through 18. Now I urge you, brethren, that you know the household of Stephanus, and that they were the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints, that you also be in subjection to such men, and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. And I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have supplied what was lacking on your part, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge such men. Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus were apparently the men who brought the letter from Corinth that prompted the letter from Paul that we've been studying. It looks like they, they waited in Ephesus until Paul had time to respond and were going to carry his letter back home. And Paul commends these men as worthy of recognition. They were examples of servants in the church. Stephanus and his household, his family and servants, were Paul's first converts in Achaia or, or Greece as we know it today. Now, we don't have record of their conversion in Acts, but since Paul went to Athens before Corinth and Luke records that some joined him and believed when he preached in the Areopagus, Stephanus may very well have been one of those who weren't named in Acts, but are referred to as some others. He may even have been a teacher and a philosopher, for that was the primary audience that Paul addressed in Athens. But now, he had devoted himself, literally addicted himself, for ministry to the saints, serving and ministering any way he could, including acting as a messenger boy. Apparently nothing was too demeaning for Stephanus. He was always ready to help, to serve in any way he could. And Paul said the church should respond by subjecting themselves to him and to all who help in the work and labor in the church. Now, that doesn't mean that we are to set such men up as rulers over us and be subject to their wishes. It means we are to serve those who serve us. There's to be a mutual ministry within the church with all striving to serve one another. And if that were done, there would be no fighting for status and prestige and, and honor. And the majority of Corinth's problems would disappear. Paul also mentions two other men who came with Stephanus, Fortunatus and Achaicus. He said they were basically like a, a, a breath of fresh air, renewing old friendships and bringing word from Corinth. You know, even if the word 
wasn't all good. At least it filled Paul in on their situation in the church. And now he knew what to write, how to respond to their needs. And he trusted that his response would be refreshing to the Corinthians by by helping them see their way through several problems that were plaguing the church. So Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus had refreshed him, and he knew that they would refresh the church upon the return. Paul says acknowledge such men. Acknowledge men who are willing to work in the church, who are willing to be used even as messengers. Now, don't look upon any service in the church as beneath you, as degrading. Instead, acknowledge those who are willing to do the things that nobody else wants to do. Acknowledge those who, because of their love for Christ, are willing to become servants in the church. And as Paul said concerning Stephanus, you serve them. Serve those who are willing to serve you. Help them in their ministry. You know, don't assume because someone agrees to oversee the nursery or we worship or the grounds that you get off the hook. Don't sit back and say, wow. I'm glad they took it. Ask what you can do to help serve those who are willing to serve you. Let's make the church a place of mutual ministry, mutual serving. Let's all be servants in love, soldiers and servants in love. Bottom line, Let's all be saints in love. Verses 19 through 24. The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Prisca greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that's in their house. All the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The greeting is in my own hand, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord, let him be accursed. Maranatha, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Paul concludes with an intimate picture of love in the church. Love among saints, those who are called out to belong to God. The churches of Asia, modern Turkey, including Ephesus and Laodicea and Colossae and others, sent their greetings to the church in Corinth. So did Aquila and Prisca, or Priscilla, that wonderfully hospitable couple who had taken Paul in when he first went to Corinth and who now lived in Ephesus. And we notice that their house is still open. Now a church met there. And they sent their hearty greetings in the Lord. In fact, all the brethren sent greetings. And Paul wanted the Christians in Corinth to to put away their differences and begin greeting one another just as openly and affectionately as the Christians of Asia greeted them. 
In fact, he wanted them to greet one another with a holy kiss, a sign of affection and forgiveness that was commonly practiced among the early Christians. Now, I don't think we need to take that admonition literally. If we started kissing everybody every Sunday, it would probably be misunderstood. But a hearty handshake or even an occasional hug would surely be welcomed as a sign of greeting and affection. If we love each other, we ought to show it. We ought to greet one another warmly and affectionately. And Paul sent his personal greeting in his own hand as well. He took, he took the pen from his secretary to personally send a note of greeting. But then he wrote something that sounds a little out of place in a warm and affectionate closing. He says, if anyone does not love the Lord, let him be accursed. Anathema. Doomed. Damned. That doesn't sound very loving, does it? But Paul wasn't, wasn't addressing the world. He wasn't addressing those outside the church who didn't know Jesus. The letter is addressed to the church. And he's talking about those within the church who were outwardly part of the church but didn't love Jesus. He says, let them be anathema. Let them be marked out for destruction by God. Now, he's not suggesting that the Corinthians mark such people. Only reminding them that God knows what's going on. And he will judge accordingly. Then he exclaimed, Maranatha. It's an Aramaic word meaning... Our Lord, come. It was a phrase used by the early Christians as a greeting and a constant prayer. They so loved the Lord and longed for His coming that they greeted one another with Maranatha. Our Lord, come. You know, they didn't say, well, how are you this morning? They said, Maranatha. Now, we, we tried that a few years ago, and it didn't work very well. <laughs> it worked about as well as a holy kiss would work. <laughs> but, you know, we need to have that constant awareness of who we are and what it is we share and what we're anticipating together as God's people. That destroys differences. That breaks down walls. That forces us to give up petty problems and struggles. They were saints. They were men and women called out of the world into a relationship of love. And they longed to see the one who loved them first. And they they weren't afraid to say so. Paul then concludes by expressing his desire for the grace of Jesus to be with them and by sending his love to them. 
they all had something in common that if focused upon would blur their differences. You know, when we focus the camera, you can do some neat things with it, can't you? You know, the other day, we had a, a, was it a bunch of turkeys out in the backyard. And I grabbed my little iPhone, you know, that's all I use now, believe it or not. And I went up to the, the slider and I took a picture of those turkeys. What I got a picture of was a screen. That didn't work. You know, what we focus on is what we see. So what are you focusing on? What do you focus on when you come to worship? What do you focus on when you see your brothers and sisters? What do you focus on? If we would stay focused on Christ and His love for us, we would see clearly who we are and what we're called to be. The saints, they knew they were loved by Jesus and therefore could love one another. They were all soldiers, servants, and saints in love. What about you this morning? Do you know the love of Jesus? And are you able to express it freely and openly to all who love him. If not, the Savior is waiting to enter your heart. Why don't you let him come in? Because when he really comes in, we can all be soldiers, servants, and saints in love.